inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Outlook. We are back live on the 9th of May, 2022, in studio again, and it's a super nice day outside. Yeah. Very busy weekend that we had, which we will get into on a, on a future program because we have exciting guests coming up on today's show. Yeah, three of them today. Yes, three guests, so we'll be getting into that in a second here, but... Wanted to start off the show actually with some unfortunate sad news that I found out once I got home last Friday after I hosted my music show, Chin Music, and uh, found out that former Radio Western marketing director Jenny Malone passed away of uh, cancer. So really sad to hear this this news. Kara, I know you remember when we started Outlook here in 2018, she was so welcoming every time we'd come into the studio. Yeah, very friendly and... Always welcoming when we walked in, and uh, yeah, it was just not expected, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd seen an update on on a Facebook page back in February about about her cancer, and yeah, and then you know she doesn't work here anymore, and I didn't know her super well personally. I just knew her through through Western a little bit, so mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about it. And then I saw a post the, just on Friday, come I'm getting home, and not not the best way to start off the weekend but just wanted to mention how kind and welcoming she was and she'll be missed for sure and she hasn't been working at the station here for a few years now but i know she was at the awards night when we we all went there and we got an award and right uh, it was just it was great to great to uh to be able to know her uh briefly through through western here and uh yeah she'll be missed so condolences to her family and uh and everyone that uh, that she knew and yeah not not the news you want to start off the weekend but thought it's definitely important we mention that on the show before we get started yeah all right well today we have three guests as i was saying and today we're going to talk about art and accessibility and inclusive design like we like to talk about and these three guests have have some experience with that that we're going to talk to them about so i don't know bride i guess start by explaining how i got involved but uh yeah, I was going to say, this is definitely a course. You do so many things and you get involved in so many different courses. And this was an interesting one that where you were, what was your, what was your position here? You weren't actually taking the course, no. I don't think, right? Yeah, I was, the, I was a consultant along with, I think, three or four other people. Uh, and so, yeah, obviously we'll talk to them about this, but it was all online still with, uh, I guess this was before Omicron, but um, whatever variant we were on at the time. Yeah, so this was in the fall, right? That yes, you did this? last fall, yes. Right. So yeah, it was an interesting window into a course like this, uh, and it was through OCAD University in Toronto. And uh, so we're going to talk today to the instructor of the course, Melissa Smith, and two of the students. So welcome, three of you, to Outlook. Yes, thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yes, so, thank you. This is great. Hi. Yes, hi, all three of you. Yeah, it's so cool. Last week, actually, we had a uh, quick mention, too, that we had uh, four guests on. We had the podcast AT Banter. I wanted to mention that as well. Really fun show last week, but so we're used to having more than one guest sometimes. So this is a 
I just think it keeps things lively and switches things up to even have more than one guest on, on the same show sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I love talking about art. Uh, as I've said before, Brian and I are have always kind of been creative people and our older siblings are too. Art, music, writing. Yeah, I'll say it's, it's going to be an interesting discussion today because it's for me the creativity comes from music and art and, and stuff like that is something I've never quite quite gotten into, but it's always it's definitely interesting and they're all tied together, right? It's all about creation and expression and, and it's all culture based, which I'm sure we'll get into and how important it is for culture and yeah. and the and all of this stuff. So it's so important that this stuff is accessible. But a lot of it when you're talking about visual art, it can you know, it does it's very inaccessible to blind people. Uh, but some people it doesn't matter to and others it does. And I used to see visual art I wonder if I what if I would have gone into more of those areas if I if I hadn't lost the sight I have lost since, uh, but there are w- many ways to participate in art and it doesn't have to all be visual and exclusionary for blind people. We just have to find ways of bringing them into it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Right. So the course was through was OCAD and it was the OCAD University's Inclusive Design Multi Sensory Museum course. Mm-hmm. Is that the the official title? Yes. Yeah, so our First guest here, Melissa Smith, you work at AGO, the Art Gallery of Ontario, but you also teach this teach through OCAD, right? Yes, I do. So I'm the Assistant Curator of Access and Learning in our Education Division at the Art Gallery of Ontario. So basically that means I work towards lowering any perceived or physical barriers to the collection and working with community. Um, and then through that work, I also connected with Dr. Peter Coppin, who is... Um, a professor at Okeji within the inclusive design department. It's a graduate department. And we developed uh, this course over four years where it uh, relies heavily on co-creation and community engagement and consultation to sort of develop with uh, designers, artists, people from um, a number of different walks in life. How can we translate artwork in the AJO collection specifically to be more inclusive. Um, And that's sometimes challenging if you're working with artwork where the artist is no longer living. It can also be challenging in a different way if that is a contemporary artist. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just working through that design challenge, really. Mm -hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, was Peter, was he one of the speakers in the course one of the weeks or not? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah, he was actually, and, and Peter is like uber academic, so he yeah. has all of this great information about semiotics, neuroscience. Oh yeah, um, he has an incredible background in designing for NASA and and things like that. Um, where I bring sort of more the praxis, so I'm the person that's embedded in the museum, mm-hmm. and uh, we really worked together to try and create a course that covered a lot of theory, but also um, the outcome was to develop something that could be used in a real kind of site. So we call that a living lab. Wow. Wow. Living lab. Love it. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah, that's great. So Melissa, maybe mm-hmm. I thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk a little bit about your past and how you kind of got into this this role. And also, I think I had heard, I was listening to the podcast through the Balance for Blind Adults in Toronto. People should look up this episode. You were on it as well as John Ray, Carrie, somebody we've had on this show recently. And 
Unfortunately, yeah. on, the, on the topic of earlier, uh, he also <laughs> recently passed away. It's just been a rough, a rough time the last few months, I think, for for a lot of us. So, um, but I think you'd mentioned on that that you actually went to University of Western Ontario at, at one point. I sure did. I sure did. So I'm a graduate. I have a master's in art history, and I wrote a very riveting thesis on 16th century emblematics. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, I, it, it's interesting, you know, I did come from a fairly academic background and then found that I was just really passionate about how people make meaning out of art. And I was much more um, engaged in that. <laughs> so I, I moved back home to Ottawa where I'm originally from and got work in the Diefenbunker, Canada's Cold War Museum, Library and Archives oh. Canada, oh, wow. the National Gallery. And it was actually the National Gallery, gallery that really, um, got me engaged in really trying to find ways to make sure that everybody had access to art um, because I think it can be a site where you can have really important conversations about the past, the present, and really envision a future. So to me, it's a human right. We also know through the World Health Organization too that it's part of the social determinants of health. I feel like uh, galleries in particular with art can be a, a form of holistic well-being. So I've sort of just always been passionate about never leaving anyone out. And uh, yeah, Western's a part of that story. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's so important when we when we have a guest on that actually went to Western, since this is a Radio Western here that we're broadcasting live the show before before it goes up as a podcast as well. But this is the flagship yeah. uh, place where it debuts. So I just think that's so great. And um, is it, it's also, also so interesting because you you don't have a, a disability yourself. Is that is that correct? No, I don't identify with a disability, which is a big particular thing in in the work that I do that I often talk about because. Uh, it's a lot about advocacy for me within the systems and structures that I work, but also advocating to a point where I will actually step away to make sure that folks with lived experience take up a role. Um, but if I can do some of that, that advocacy first to make it a bit of an easier transition, all the better. Well, that's the such an important thing is having both, right? We want people with lived experiences of disability, but also allies who don't live with a disability, but still can can help out in the in this in these roles. And you know, the mix of both is so important. And it's also sometimes you think you know people that don't have a disability maybe don't think about these things. So it's just it's so uh, refreshing to find somebody that does, and and it's great to have you on today. Thanks. We're really glad to be here. <laughs> Yes, well, you were you were so welcoming. I read about this opportunity on Facebook, or a few other blind people who had done it in the past. I guess um, were, were sharing it, and I reached out to you, and uh, I'm really I'm glad I did because uh, I learned a lot. Even though a lot of someone went over my head with the neuroscience talk and all that, some of that. But you know, you had such fascinating speakers throughout the throughout the classes that I learned from. So I was glad to be well, there each each week. That's so good to hear, Carrie. And I think also, you know, what I, I did want to say this too. John was such an important part of that work too. I just want to take a moment to mm -hmm. acknowledge him. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about, cause John Ray was, I mean, one of the most incredible advocates I think I've ever met. And particularly we can think about thanking him for the hearing where we get off on stops in the subway and things like that. But he was such a big part of that and such a big um, proponent for touching all the objects in yeah. museums and moving away from being so ocular centric. And I just want to give him a shout out too, because he was really one of the first community consultants that we worked with and he helped to spread the word and then led to meeting people like yourself, Carrie. So just want to take a moment to acknowledge John and his, his real amazingness with this work. Yeah. How many, how many of the classes do you think he attended? Was it multiple years? Wasn't it? 
Yeah, multiple years, certainly yeah. with Kaju, wow. but we, we had a relationship that went back about 10 years where he would call me up and just be like, Melissa, this is inaccessible. <laughs> and we would try and figure out ways to work together to, to make it more so. So really instrumental in pushing our multi-sensory program at the AGO, which is about providing uh, facilitated tours that engage with tactile experiences, uh, audio description, 3D printed objects, there's a whole range of things. But John was really instrumental in, in helping me move that forward within the institution. So all, all the way through, Carrie, I would say. <laughs> yeah, no, I could tell just by your, your the way you would talk to each other on the, on the, at the class, the start of class and stuff, you could tell you had a, a relationship that had been developed over time. And so that was great. You had a comfort with each other there and it was great, mm-hmm. to, great to, to witness that. Yeah, and unfortunately, we only really got to know him for about the past year or so, and more so the last few months where he he was on our show and we got to connect with him. But he was just sending us all sorts of articles that for this, you know, that would apply to this show and so many things. And yeah. uh, he just seemed like I didn't know him well, but from the bit I did get to know him, he seemed like such a kind person who really, you know, stepped it up and and went out there and got things done and made sure things were were changed for the better. So mm-hmm. he sure did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I hadn't, I hadn't, I don't know if I've ever actually visited the AGO. I may have, but I don't know. I've gone to the ROM, uh, but maybe not the art gallery. Yeah, well, as we'll I said. Have to remedy that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll have to come. And it's like I say, I'm always looking for ideas to feature stuff on the show and to learn more about what is out there because I, I am trying to get into the world of. That's partly why I took, I wanted to join as a consultant because I'm trying to get some experience with just in the areas of image description, audio description all of that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, art galleries to me, like the one here, the one I have in my town, I really wish they had... Woodstock, I wish they had better programs, like more accessible. Like we had an accessibility committee meeting there once and it was like, well, I'm not getting anything out of this. It's funny that they held it here. But, um, but, you know, these programs need some direction. And of course the art gallery in um, Toronto there is bigger and has... uh, more of a reputation. And that's than a big a issue, one. I think, with with all all this accessibility stuff. Is yeah. some of the bigger cities and stuff are getting much better for it. But when you're in more of a remote area or smaller cities, there's just not as much. There's not as much demand for it. Yep. But it, it's still needed. Not it's every needed. town has a has a John. So right. But it's needed yeah. everywhere because there are people with disabilities everywhere. Or if there aren't, you know, tomorrow you could have a disability. It can happen to anyone. So it's just so important that it's inclusive everywhere. Well, and I think it's also important to acknowledge that as the folks who are working within that programming division, that they need to take responsibility as museum professionals to ensure that everything they're providing is as accessible as possible. And certainly that's a learning curve, right? And it's all so relational. So being open to to people sharing feedback and figuring out how nothing is ever a done deal, right? Like you should consider how you're growing and moving. And it's not just about being AODA compliant, but like what's what's the next step? Like how can you innovate and do things that are really inclusive and different to get people to engage with your site? Yes, the difference of it's the difference of doing like the least amount of work you can do to make something somewhat accessible to where you go above and beyond and really, and again, it also, like you mentioned already, ties back to human rights. And it's not about, oh, we just need to want, want to be accessible. It's, we have to be accessible. It's a, it's a right for all humans to be able to experience this stuff because it all does tie into culture and, and it's, it's in, in, uh, information for everyone. And it's important that we all have equal access. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's lots of great tools out there, right? Because like, we just partnered, for instance, with Blind Square, which allows for wayfinding and uploading audio descriptions. So it also provides more agency for visiting instead of just booking a tour. Like there's really incredible things right now where you can create almost these fabulous partnerships that suit a range of needs for access, right? It, it doesn't all have to be done um, you know, in the museum by limited staff or limited resources, there's definitely ways to think outside of the box. And I think the multi-sensory museum course is an example of that. Like how can we reach out so that it's not just somebody who's working in the system of a museum? How can you co-create with others who might, you know, share your passion or your belief in making a difference? Yeah, and I haven't used Blind Square really yet, and it's something I should definitely check out. But yeah, stuff stuff like that where you have this app on your phone, and you can you can bring that in, and yeah, you don't may not have to even have to have someone there for everything. You have you have a tool with you already that you can bring in, and, and that interacts with with the art and everything to be able to make it a much more inclusive and uh, enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. And Carrie, this made me think of your uh, not not quite the same thing, but similar enough. Where you this aquarium that you went to out west, and you got a you had a, a tour there as well, right? I think a bit of a description. Well, yeah, I've gone to several different cultural places, like I say, museums and exhibits and aquariums, and and yeah, um, the Vancouver Aqua- Vancouver Aquarium. They you know they had a volunteer there who showed me around and explained things. And they let me feel, you know, like an otter's fur, a a pelt and different things. So, yeah, I've had some great experiences um, at certain places, but it was great to hear John's experiences, uh, you know, and and other people's because, you know, there's so many cultural experiences out there that are so enriching if you can get access to them. But let's move on and talk to our guests, our other two guests here, the students who took this course. Parts, do you want to start by introducing yourself, you know, to introduce yourself to our listeners, if you can, you know, give your name or a bit of your background and, and then how you ended up taking this course. Hey, sure. Uh, so this is Bart and uh, I come from India. I came here in September. My background is in branding and advertising and typeface design. And I got really interested in inclusive design. And I can tell you how I ended up taking this particular course uh, about multi-sensory museums is I just read about it, the course description, and it, it really intrigued me because as a as some as a visual designer, all my work so far have been concentrated on like vision because typeface is about you know reading stuff and advertising is also mostly about that. So I thought it would be really interesting to explore different senses uh, and how to interact and how to communicate via different senses. So that was, you know, my initial thought. And uh, uh, I also come from very like design background, which is different from art stuff. So I wanted to dip my toe into that as well. And yeah, I, I'm so glad I took this course because I came with a much greater appreciation for art. and. Uh, about inclusivity in art itself and how important it is. So, yeah, that's. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad I took this course. Mm-hmm. And can you give us maybe a little glimpse about what what the situation? Just so we like to learn about what's what's accessibility in other countries, and not every country is the same. Uh, you know, Brian, and I, I've never been to India. What 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 did you experience there? What do you think the state of this sort of thing is there? Um, you know, whatever you want to say about that. Yeah, sure. 
sadly like uh, the couple of museums i have visited or the art galleries i have visited i haven't really seen any accessible criterias nor i have heard any dialogue about it so i was like when i came here i was completely you know like uh i had no exposure about inclusivity in art at all mm-hmm. so yeah sadly that's the state and i have visited like national uh, national museums and uh, that as well but i think the most they would have is maybe pale um uh, somewhere but that's about it sadly right so to some people when you say well, accessibility that's well for the blind it must just be braille like that's like brian said that's the that's an obvious one braille is known well enough around the world now and so that is the obvious one and that's important but of course as brian and i talk about sometimes not all blind people read braille so yeah. it can't just stop at that but it it's i i agree it's 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 complicated and people don't always know yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's nice to see that it's it's getting better. And I don't know, you know, it, again, there's just so many, so so much in the world and so many things to do. So it's it's tough to to make that you know a top issue for a lot of people, and people just don't think about it. But the I think it's getting going in the right direction. And it, like Carrie said, it is interesting to hear about it in different cultures and countries and stuff like that because it's you know we're so we're so used to our our country, but it's it's really interesting to learn about others and and how accessibility is there. Yes, and that's what I found by by being a consultant with this course. There were people taking it from all over the place. And so we got so many different perspectives. So it's not all about accessibility for disability. It's always about, you know, inclusivity in culture and, you know, learning from each other about what things are like all over the place, like you said, Brian. So how about our, how about our third and final guest? Uh, do you want to tell us a bit, a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm uh, Kiri. Um, I come from a very different world as well. I'm more of Melissa's background. I have a, like an MA and my re- it's all research and writing based. Um, and I'm the only one from the contemporary art degree at, at OCAD that took this course in my in our year. Um, and I think, yeah, because so much of my work is, you know, sitting at a computer screen typing. This course was so um tactile it was you know creating something it was um imagining something and it was a totally new realm to me like accessibility is was totally new and 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 the course yeah definitely felt uh it felt like coming from a research background that that was okay or coming from a typeface design there, there was this group of people learning together and so it felt like not knowing anything was okay at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is accessibility something you'd thought about much in the past, or was this more of a recent thing when you came across this course and 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 uh, learned about this? Um, it's something I've thought about. I worked a lot in um, museums out. I'm from the East Coast, so I did a lot of work um, designing education programs and. Um, like physical uh, kits, boxes of artifacts that you could take into museum to, to classrooms for kids to handle and touch and talk through. So I had done some of that work, but without any of the like background training, it was sort of learning on the fly with a team of, of, the, uh, of the education people at the museum. So it was something that I had sort of dipped my toes into, but um, this was definitely a better um, introduction and yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about art and when there's educational programming, obviously schools 
groups coming to to art galleries and programs it's it's important to engage everybody whether you have a disability and you, you use your other senses or you're you know to to, to get children's captivated and, and interested in art there's it's important to um you know be inclusive in all those ways so it's great when there's people coming to this program from so many different backgrounds including like you say educational and 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 uh, teaching uh, design all of these things everybody in the course had a different program they were in and what they wanted to do after and how they were going to apply what they learned in this course hopefully to that and so it was just great to hear everybody's stories throughout the weeks and that's what's interesting is, you know, of course, people hear the word art and automatically you often think visual. Um, but and of course, even if it is visual, there are ways to make this accessible through descriptions and and tactile options and all of these things. But the fact is, we all just because and again, we talk about this on the show quite a bit, how sight is off is just looked at as this number one sense in many ways where this is the one people think about. But really, we have everyone has these other senses as well. So it's it's something we can all relate to. And we just don't talk about it enough. So this is a this is a great opportunity to really bring more awareness to the fact that sight isn't the best sense, isn't the only sense we have. We have other senses to to take in information from as well. Mm hmm. So, um, Melissa, what, um, what's the status of the course now? Like, how has it changed? How, like, how has it developed? Uh, what have you sort of learned by teaching it so far? Have you, have you found what you've learned from the students and the consultants? Well, I would say that it's, as I, I mean, we try and adapt sort of a design perspective to it, uh, as a course anyway. So when we first started, it was one way, but each year we try to iterate and uh, improve it, right? So um, each year too, we try and adopt a way of thinking about it, which I'm so glad uh, Kiri said she felt that way, that we try and approach it as a group. So a lot of this work for me too, and just to kind of also take up what Brian was saying about site being so specific is about kind of, this is also about decolonizing and, and shifting up how we see the system because Museums, when they focus just on one site, really exclude a lot of people. And so that's really our design challenge, right? And then we wanted to also approach how we were teaching and how we were engaging about the museum from the same perspective <laughs> as what we wanted to achieve. So trying to get rid of a little bit of hierarchy, learning together as a community, also making sure that people who have lived experience are a part of the experience, not just in a one-off, but throughout the course. So um, Carrie, again, thank you so much for your commitment and being in this space with us. Um, so really each year we tweak something or do something different and I would be concerned if we didn't <laughs> we should all be learning new things each time and certainly also with the way that technology is changing and the way that our world has changed even post pandemic to being more aware of who's included and who isn't um, we add things each year as a different perspective like your recommendation for plant eyes for instance such a fabulous book like that's going to be on the reading list right so awesome. uh, oh very good my, Carrie. yeah <laughs> carrie's trying to get that in everywhere and it's, it's just awesome to see i know the the uh, music director here at the station I, I recommended the book too and he got it through a library here so it's just so great to really spread this stuff and get more and more people aware of, of all of these things and and it's also that whole idea that you know, the more inclusive something is, you there's such an untapped 
segment of the population that these museums are missing out on by not including them through their through their programs and and the way things are are designed and and run. So it's really a benefit. It benefits all, and we talk so much about that. How just because you don't have a disability, being more inclusive benefits you in the end because it 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 allows more people to be exposed to what you do and gets more patrons to come into your business. And it's just, it's so important for everything. Well, I can even use an example of that too, because for audio description, right? One might understand it as a, as a way. So audio description is using words to describe something so that there's a sense of what that, that object or that artwork is. But someone might assume that that's just a tool for someone that might identify as being blind or vision impaired, but really it's actually also a form of mindfulness because it slows you down and it gets you to look and observe and be with that artwork longer. And sighted folks spend maybe three to 10 seconds per artwork, right? Which is like bananas. That's such a short period of time. We, so like having something set up as a program like that encourages everyone to kind of slow down and be present and be in the space. And we like started, I think with Warhol, we had about 2000 people listen to our audio guide stops. And with Robert Hool, which we just closed, we got up to about 10,000. So it also shows the impact of how that can help people navigate a space. And particularly in art galleries, we've done a lot of visitor research because museum evaluation is a thing. And in that we found there's top three reasons people don't come to galleries and it's because they feel they need to come equipped with art history knowledge Mm -hmm. or they feel like they can't see themselves in the space, Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable in the space. And the third one that I find, I mean, all of them are a bit heartbreaking, but the third one is not knowing what to wear. So particularly art galleries have done a really good job of setting themselves up as this kind of bastion of culture and being able to be multi-sensory, being able to be inclined towards inclusive programming means that we're working to break that down, right? So that we can all come in and have different conversations and share different perspectives. And to me, that's really important uh, in this work. And that's what the course tries to bring forward. So we even go through like the history of museums, which actually started as cabinets of curiosities or wonderkrammers, where I mean, and this is where you see the the uh, system and how power is innately a part of it. So it would have been wealthy people who were collecting objects. But, you know, people around that estate could come and see those collections and they would be encouraged to touch. They would be encouraged to smell. In fact, there were some people that would um, tell us through like travel diaries that they also would taste, like taste was a part. So they would lick a thing. Um, and that was all kind of erased right as we got into the enlightenment and more democratized right yeah it's interesting to think about over history how things do evolve and change in some ways and and that we we move away from certain things that were you know maybe more accessible back then and now it's like oh maybe we could include this again and and really make things a full experience for everyone and so for anyone who has been listening or is just maybe tuning in, today on Outlook, we're speaking with Melissa Smith, who teaches the OCAD University's Inclusive Design Multisensory Museum course, along with two students who have taken the course, Kiri and Parth. So we are actually going to take a quick break here now on Outlook, but we'll be right back with Melissa and the students here today on Outlook on Radio Western. Radio Western. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook Live today. We're in the studio and we have three guests joining us over Zoom, Melissa Smith and Parth and Kiri. 
And uh, we were talking about museums, and uh, that's where Melissa works. But t- I'd like to, to ask the students now about the projects that you did in, in the course. Uh, so everybody was in, were put into groups, and you had access to um, a bunch of images through the AGO, and you had to pick an artwork. Uh, so I don't know. Parth, do you want to start by telling us about the artwork you worked on and, and um, a bit about that? Yeah, I can start. Uh, <clears throat> we worked... Uh, we worked on an artwork by uh, this art uh, Swiss American uh, sculptor called uh, Clay's Oldenburg, and the artwork was uh, called uh, Ice Cream Soda with a Cookie, which is what attracted us to first to it because it sounded really delicious. <laughs> and uh, it's a sculpture. It's a sculpture. It's, it was uh, unlike a lot of like other groups. It was not a painting but uh-huh. a sculpture. Um, and so it's a real life. Uh, sculpture which he created which really looks very lifelike so that was the humor behind it that you think it is an actual ice cream soda and cookie but it's actually just like cardboard and metal or something <laughs> so that was the art piece uh, we worked uh, we worked on and it was really interesting to kind of read about the history about the artist and then uh, about how to go about it so then we asked our community and we asked people what they think about it when they look at this artwork because we didn't want to just like uh you know put our opinion on it that hey this is what this is so we asked a bunch of people and uh, we did like semi-structured interviews with them and and we kind of came up with this very interesting uh observation that irrespective of where you are from this artwork, this artwork about ice cream was something which kind of united people over, <laughs> irrespective of their age or, or gender or culture. Or, so we asked people from right from like 11 year old to 92 year old. And uh, we had like really interesting perspectives and a lot of similarities in what they thought about the artwork. So we compiled all of this interview together. And, uh, and, uh, it kind of became a testament to like what this artwork was and it kind of became a part of the translation itself. Uh, we also did a, an audio description of the artwork and we also tried to translate this artwork by capturing the essence of it. So this was created in 1960s. So we tried to capture that very 1960s New York diner vibes, which was the background of this art. So we went to like a couple of diners here and uh, recorded the sounds of the diner, you know, like coffee machine, people talking and some uh, jukebox playing sounds. So we recorded those and created uh, what we thought as a audio translation of the artwork and not the audio description of the artwork. So this is what we came up with and it was a really interesting process and we had a lot of fun with it. Yes, I do. Now you now you say it. I remember that one for sure. That sounds really neat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, it's definitely sound is such a big thing. As I'm a, music is my big passion, and but sound in general is really neat. And I know I've we've done a couple of soundscapes, Carrie, for for a few things where like you know you've recorded inside a, a Toys R Us store, and we use that as the backdrop, mm-hmm. and and dubbed the story over top with other sounds when things came up. And there's just so much you can create. And like you say, even without a description, to have the sound describe things is 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 it its own method of description instead of always having a voice talking. I just think it's, it's such a, there's so many options and so many avenues you can go down with this stuff. Yeah. So you got yeah. to, ha- you got to do, so, you know, in, out in the field, 
research is not only done at art galleries and things, it's sometimes done in diners. So that's, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Like we visited a lot of diners and uh, had a lot of ice cream just for the research. <laughs> but uh, you're right, Bhai, like sound is such an important piece of the environment and the space you are in. And sometimes you don't notice it, but yeah, you make somebody like put in that sound of the diners, of people chatting. You can't really make out the conversations, but you hear sound parts and you can't really make out which song is playing, but you still know which it is, which one it is. And uh, it just really puts you in that zone. So yeah, it creates the whole atmosphere and, and makes you feel like you're, you're in this environment. And again, it's one of those things, and Melissa was bringing it up before when you talked about these descriptions that you know, even if you if you can see, they 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 make you think a bit more because you know there's that expression that I hear sometimes. There's a picture is worth a thousand words, and sometimes it's like, yeah, it is. But when you can see, you do you do just glance, and sure, you can take something in from that. But sometimes maybe you do miss out on things because you are so quick to move on to the next thing and, and look at the next thing. Whereas when you really stop and listen to a description, it puts you more in the moment in that experience, and you really do kind of sometimes take more from it than if you're just quickly glancing and moving to the next thing. So how about you, Carrie? What what um, what else can you tell us about your your guys' project and and anything else you did to make it inclusive? Obviously, audio is one part, but not everybody. Um, some people are deaf, so they can't you know always hear. So there's there's multiple ways to approach it, and each each pro, um, each group did it so differently depending on the artwork they worked on. But what what did you um, find interesting about the process? Yeah. Um- I think Parth gave a great overview. Thank you for that. Um, I think, yeah, every group did it so differently. And I think one of the things Parth and I realized very early on is that put together, we have negative tech skills pretty much. So we knew that whatever we were doing, we needed to sort of embrace that. And, you know, because of COVID, we were limited to like a video we couldn't create a physical object or and i think in other worlds that would have been a really interesting challenge to to use this like gooey ice cream melting thing and make something tactile and that you could smell because one of the things in the soundscape that really comes up is that like you know that 50s diner you can smell the you know the fry oil you can smell the burnt coffee you can smell that like sticky sweet um from like uh ice cream so there were so many pieces that i think if we had been able to have a physical part of it would have been really cool to follow up on um but were difficult by the medium that we that we had to choose but yeah, just going off something you said about how much, you know, how much sound can add is one of our first classes, we got to look at some of the previous um, year's um, projects. And one of the pieces, I, I can't remember the, the artwork title, but it's um, a painting that's hanging in EGO and it's a Canadian work. And it's some kids playing a uh, snowball in the background. And there's, you know, you're looking at through a window. I've walked past it. I've never paid attention to it, but uh, somebody made a soundscape of it. 
and you could hear the kids yelling and screaming and there's a gramophone in the front and they had that you could hear the music playing and that piece came alive for me and and now every time I walk past it or every time I think about it I have this soundscape playing in my head and the same with this you know fairly nondescript sculpture of ice cream you know that you could walk past and and not notice even as a, a sighted person having it be triggered by sound and having this world open up in the soundscape was really fascinating to me. So yeah, it adds layers that I, uh, I'm glad we got to explore in this. And the thing too, I think that's interesting about it being sound as opposed to actual talking and description is of course, description is something also super important, but I think it comes up a lot with art is that a lot of it is up for interpretation. So when somebody does describe it, that can be good, but sometimes their interpretation might be different than somebody else's interpretation. So, so by not having the words always, maybe somebody could have a bit of a different perspective on it than if it if they're told. I mean, you can still interpret sometimes words depending how abstract it is and, and stuff, but that has a bit more of a sort of a, could have a subjective or a, someone else's sort of opinion on it more so you might perceive it differently if, if, you're, if you're not listening to just a description. Absolutely. And I think that was something that we we kind of identified very early on. And by doing these like interviews, we forefronted a whole bunch of people's interpretation. We didn't want it to be us just audio describing and then kind of talking about it, but by talking to people and have them, you know, describe it by a memory that it brought up. You know, somebody talked about going on a date with their wife when they were, before they got married and that it brings up this and, and, you know, a mom talking about, going out for ice cream with her, her daughter who loves sweets. It, um, it allowed us to sort of take a backseat and, and present a much more sort of diverse and, and quirky and brought up things we never would have noticed, which I thought was, we both thought was really important in creating this sort of multi-sensory artwork. Yes. You, you guys in your group in particular with the, 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 the content of your of your work that you chose that's important and that was important that you came to that decision to do that because that's a great way of interpret of interpreting that not all the paintings it would have worked to do and all the all the all the other groups um, did things differently obviously but for this one food is so evocative and everybody can relate and everybody has a memory you know maybe you're lactose intolerant but otherwise you know, who doesn't love ice cream or a cookie, right? So yeah, it was great to hear how you approached it um, in relation to how others approached theirs. And so I learned a lot and um, it was delicious to hear about it. Um, but yeah, the other paintings that kind of stuck, for, uh, the other groups, I think one was by um, Melissa, is this the name? Christy Delacourt, I think her name was. Christy Belcourt. Belcourt, yes. yeah. So yeah, I'm learning about art too <laughs> through this. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, it's such a great moment to really talk about the subjectivity of this work, too, which yeah. is what makes it such an interesting design challenge, because where you might be able to audio describe a play or cinema, there's a way you do that, right? That sort of you can just say what's happening and that that helps add to the story. But with art, because it is so emotive and because it is so subjective, it's really something that we need this class to kind of work through as well. And so I do personally really love um, how Kiri and Parth were able to get lots of different perspectives in on, on one project. But Christy Belcourt is another really good example because that 
Christy is a, a living artist, a contemporary artist. And so that group was able to connect with her as an artist. She was very generous with her time. Yeah. Um, and then they were also able to kind of co-create with her and also with other students and consultants in the class. And they have more of sort of a narrative and they give you kind of a map to Christy Belcour's work since it represents a lot of different species um, and endangered species within Ontario. And just uh, so incredible to see what students came up with. Yeah, so whether it's nature and the environment or, you know, it's food, um, I think other another one there are other ones that were more about um, culture and, and the history of racism, which you bring into the fact about art in general and art galleries. There's a lot of colonization that's ha- happened there, and um, so yeah, each one approached a different sort of breached a different topic and it was based on something different. And so yeah, I learned a lot about art, and um, I'm sure you do every time you teach that course. So what, um, um, Melissa, what kind of other speakers did you have? Um, you want to give like a, just a few examples? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, I, I like to have lots of different voices in any course, again, because I think that it's important to represent multiple perspectives. But we had folks that came to visit from the ROM, for instance, so interpretive planners that do the work of uh, kind of translating like a uh, curatorial perspectives, which can be really subject specific experts for visitors that might not have that much of an understanding of a topic. So folks that really work in understanding and creating access to information. So we had them come to visit. We had um, someone that specialized in visitor evaluation. We had um, representatives from the CNIB come to speak as well. We had uh, Kate, Kat Germain, who is a specialist in um, audio description, come and host a workshop for students to really figure out how to do that. We had Dr. Peter Coppin come and speak a little bit more to the neuroscience and semiotics aspect. We had previous students, um, so uh, Nikki Toe and Grace, who were in a previous iteration of the course, come and lead a co-creation session that we did online. So asking people to sort of uh, look at the artworks they were interested in working with and brainstorm how you might translate those into multimodal uh, objects. A range of people wanting to get uh, different perspectives in play. Mm-hmm. And I think I would I would tell my family and, and friends I was doing I was a consultant for this course, and I don't you know I think it's going to be great if, for them to listen to this episode to get an, a, a better idea of what exactly I was doing all that time. I yeah. maybe I didn't explain it as well I'd, as, I'd as heard, somebody. I heard Carrie. Yeah, I heard my sister talking about this course quite a bit last fall, but I yeah not being in the not being there myself, I was interested to kind of know a little bit more about it. So I've learned a lot today too, having having everyone on to really discuss this in more detail. And of course, with COVID, I, you know, it, it, of course, it brought a lot of bad things with it, but it also brought some good. I don't live in the Toronto area <clears throat> like John did. So, yeah, I might not have been able, to, I probably wouldn't have been able to participate. Um, you know, I would have had to go to Toronto every week um, to, to, if you, if you were still doing it in person. So the fact that it was online, yeah, I, it did some challenge, present challenges to the students and to yourself, I'm sure, but. Yeah, I mean, that was what was kind of interesting, too, because it just worked out that two years we did it sort of on site at Okaju and AGO, and there were more kind of objects that were produced that were translations, usually kind of 3D reliefs. Um, we heard kind of soundscapes and elements like that, a lot of scent 
things too. <laughs> um, but it was a challenge to shift to the digital platform. And so it just added another layer to how do we translate then? And what's been a really effective about this is just as you said, Carrie, that we were even able to engage with that, your incredible um, experience and knowledge that you're bringing to the course, but also with so many people that were from really all over the world in our class as well, which was really exciting and added so much more to the experience because, you know, we had to take time, for instance, in the first class to explain why we do a land acknowledgement, for instance, right? And so just getting everybody to kind of understand the variety of spaces and accessible situations they were finding themselves in, um, in their own context, but elaborating on that then in our, our class itself. And yeah. so- I guess, I guess they haven't found out a, a method for virtual smell yet or, t or taste to be able to translate that into a virtual format, maybe. I know, right? Smell-o-vision, we need it. But <laughs> yeah, especially for this group, this group here today, yeah. there's for sure. Dev yeah, and one of our strategies too was to create lists, almost like a recipe list, like you should collect this, like bring this with you while you're engaging with this video. True, and yeah. I, it occurs to me, I should say, all of the things that we're talking about, you can actually gain access to on the AGO website. So if you go to www.ago.ca, um, you can just really search for multi-sensory museum and you'll find over, yeah, over 20 different videos or translations of artworks in the AGO collection because um, we've uploaded all of these videos to the site. And each video is also embedded in a web page that gives you potentially um, extra assets. So I'm looking at the Christie Bell Corps, for instance, where you can download a 3D printed file. Um, you can also get like a recipe on something to eat while you're looking or um, instructions on how to create a forest box. So there's each project is really special because it's bringing together a whole bunch of different people and perspectives and translating that work. And it's almost acknowledging that subjective nature of art, but also giving you something to hold on to and to scaffold off of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was another painting that another group had with something about um, blue... It's like a, a, a lake forest type scene. And, they, you know, they were talking about how can we suggest people at home collect items in their backyard, you know, the, the scent of pine or whatever it might be. So there, there's always different ways to approach it and to bring it into the virtual space when we can't, you know, present it in person. And, and so that was the challenge that these students, um, that's the challenge you guys had, I believe. Yeah, and they like blew it out of the water. <laughs> so yeah, I encourage everybody to go to the AGO website and 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 search that because it's fascinating and it's beautiful. And I actually started before I heard about that you were looking for consultants. I I was following you guys on Facebook, and I would occasionally come across the live presentation of of other videos that were being done, and I would I would watch them, and you know it was it was it was beautiful to witness, and then to be to be sort of witness to that up close was 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 such a great experience and I'm glad I I came across your post but um I am too. yeah thank you <laughs> so let's ask Parth and uh, Kiri um what kind of reception did you get and what sort of what are you taking away from what you learned in as you go ahead in your careers and and whatever else you're you're doing next Parth want to go first hey yeah sure uh, I can talk about what I took out of this course and uh, mm -hmm. what stayed with me is when I started this course and we have been told, oh, you are supposed to translate the paintings 
it seemed impossible because we are not used to looking at paintings or sculptures or art in that way we have always you know it's it's a visual thing like looking at a painting so oh, it seemed impossible but as we progress through it it's not easy but it's really doable so i think that's a thing one thing which i take from this that uh you can really start at it and if uh, people like me and kiri who have no background in the, this field can, could do it there are people who are like so talented at this and they can you can start with audio description which is a really sort of thing the technology for that is available you just need a microphone and somebody talented to translate the painting to audio describe it so yeah like i don't understand like uh, you have the budget you have the technology you have the talent what's stopping the museum and art galleries to do it they should <laughs> they can just go ahead and start uh, uh, making art more inclusive by start with audio description and take it from there so i yeah that is the one thing which i took away from this course it uh, uh, making art inclusive it's really doable <laughs> so that's my single most important takeaway from this that's so important i would say and it's again it's again it's just starting somewhere right and you guys have you've all t- taken it to a whole new level with with all of these multi-sensory experiences but even like you say just starting with audio description is, is such something anyone can do and and it, you know we all yeah. have microphones now even on our phones or wherever so it's something we could all do anytime and it's it just and once you start then you get into that and then you start to learn about more more, more ways to make things accessible and it just grows from there yeah exactly <laughs> How about you, Carrie? Did you um, did you learn sort of similar things? Did you learn anything sort of different than that? And what are you going to do when you move forward uh, with whatever you whatever you have coming next and your plans for the future with with the knowledge you got from this course? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that I really took away from this course was, um, especially just coming from a school environment, was. Uh, the the privilege to work in a community. It was, you know, working with the guest speakers that um, Melissa brought in, but also, you know, working in a group with Parth, working, you know, with you, Carrie, and community consultants. It was this, like, forefronting the importance of, of working as a collective in making art accessible. And that's something that I've really, you know, that was really, really wonderful because coming from someone with very little knowledge and it felt like I could bring something to the table and learn a lot. Um, I think I really want to work in um, art gallery or museum spaces. And I, you know, I find this work fascinating. So it's been a a starting place for more learning and, and, and sort of more inquisitive work that needs to be done so yeah i think it's been a a starting place for me yes and in in a world in a world i had no idea was so broad and so complex i guess right yeah and that's the thing when we talk to people about what image descriptions are and what audio description is for instance but just and getting them to think about multi-sensory it just opens up a whole new world that like you said uh, Parth, the course seemed challenging at first with what Melissa was asking you guys to do. But once you realize the possibilities and you open your mind to it, and then you do consult with others from all over the place, you you realize all the possibilities. And so I think um, 
I think that's great that you both took away all that from that because I assume that's what Melissa is shooting for when she offers this course. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little excited that that's what was shared. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Good. Well, yeah, no, I was looking forward to having this discussion today because, um, you know, I can't see art anymore, but my brain is so active. I'm seeing things in my mind now. And so sometimes it's a lot, but um, it's very stimulating in in um, in so many great ways. And so I, I'm really glad I got to meet all of you. And I really hope that you, you can take this when you go, going forward in whatever you do next. And, um, you know, you'll make a difference because we, like Brian said, we just need people to be engaged and, and work with us. And so I think about individual individuality versus community and like you say a collective carry it's it's all it's all um it's all it's all beneficial to all of us now what's the status on the on the course now if people are have been interested today and are maybe interested in in taking it at some point um well a little bit up in the air i think that they often run in the fall um it's uh, yeah so we'll we'll see if that's going to run again but certainly this work won't stop at the art gallery of ontario um because we just it's it's an important thing to create access so we again iterate and do different things each year but uh we'll we'll see what will come in the fall Mm-hmm. And with things opening up, maybe a little in art, the art gallery, like I said, I need to check out the AGO and everyone else do it, whether you do it online or you're able to be there in person um, because we need, yeah. you know, show support to people like Melissa doing these, this sort of work because it, it's, it matters and uh, everybody will learn something from it. Yeah. So I guess the best thing then if, to promote would be to go to the AGO website. Is that, is that the best place for people to go? Yeah, for sure. And uh, go on site too. We're, we're open. We're welcoming people in. Um, we have a new exhibition called I Am Here, which is also community driven and really speaks to a lot of the themes that came out of the pandemic, like food and dance and connection. So it's representing how we have always represented ourselves as humanity. Um, and then I think also, yeah, our website, because of the pandemic, we did shift to offering much more um, on digital platforms. So you don't have to be in Toronto to get some experience with the AGO and with the art and the ideas we're passing on. So, yeah, any way you want, come and engage with us because I think we're, we're excited to welcome people to think about the world around them in, in new and different ways through art. Yes, and I think people are, you know, they were just kind of getting fatigued with Zoom in some ways and, and, and being so distant from others. And now, you know, they are hoping and hoping we things can open up a little more and people can make connections again in person because that really does um, help mental health and help everybody's mood and everything. Um, but I really wish... See, the, the hour flies by when we're talking to three other people. It does, yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but I really wish both of you, Parth and uh, Kiri, all the best in your future endeavors, whatever you do. And Melissa, with this course or with this with your programs, um, thank you so much. And I'm glad I, I we got to meet all of you. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, definitely look up the, the OCAD University's Inclusive Design Multisensory Museum course and check out the AGO in person or through their website. Thank you all, all of you for coming on Outlook today. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was great. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. 